0: This is the BTEC Basquiat Podcast. I'm Samuel, and this is the pod where we chat music, sport, architecture, art, design in a way that isn't pretentious or gatekeeping. So we can keep it as an open conversation, no matter how much prior knowledge you have in these topic areas. Um, this is the fifth episode. I'm so excited for today's episode because we're doing it a little bit differently today. Um, so we got some feedback from uh, some listeners on our Instagram, which is at BTEC basquiat uh, same as our Twitter handle. Um, And they were saying that maybe we should take the pod in a bit of a different direction by covering all of the topic areas that we sort of tend to discuss all within one pod rather than touching on sort of three topic areas in a little bit more depth. So I'm really looking forward to doing it that way uh, this week, especially because I think I've got some really interesting uh, sort of genres and areas to discuss. So we're going to kick off with uh, music. So I'm going to touch on a couple of artists who have dropped some really great tracks in the last couple of weeks. We're also going to look at Nicholas Burns' latest architecture project. We're going to discuss the Oscar nominations, which were announced last week. Um, We are then going to move on to a couple of the new Yeezy uh, colorway releases and discuss how they're taking a little bit of an interesting turn. Um, And then we're going to finish off with looking at the England lineup, which is actually the reason that this pod is a little bit later than it normally would be, because I wanted to hold off just to discuss that, because I think there's been some really interesting selections from Gareth Southgate, which will probably give you a little bit of an idea about the direction they're going to head in uh, for the Euros. Um, So I can't wait to discuss all of these things with you, and I hope you enjoy it. So I'm going to kick off by talking about a couple of artists that I've been listening to this week. And I'm going to start with a a song that I mentioned in last episode, but I mean, damn did it live up to the expectation and the anticipation which I was chatting about last time out. And that is Leave the Door Open from Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars. It is what could be a memorable collaboration with two super creative soul style musicians, uh, the only fear I had, sort of, when I was talking about it last week and thinking it over before the release, is that they may have been sort of too similar, uh, that they might not sort of supplement each other well, um, as neither may bring sort of anything new to the table. They're two quite sort of similar artists, even though they sort of take soul and funk styled like R and B and pop, and sort of take it in their own respective directions. But it was something I was concerned about. But Obviously, I had no reason to fear because it was fantastic. The single made me feel sort of super excited about seeing more of uh, Silk Sonic, as it seems to be. They're sort of they're positioned as a duo rather than just collaborators. The track is so uh, eloquently assembled. I think it's super atmospheric and really sort of grand um, in its sort of vibes that it's giving. It's really showy and rich with flawless production um, and super smooth vocals from both of them with some sharp and smart lines from Anderson Pack, especially on um, this one, but Bruno Mars for sure didn't just sort of sit in his shadow at all. Uh, Bruno gave some really sort of silky, punchy, 70s pop-style vocals, um, especially in the choruses, and it really sort of supplemented Anderson Pack's style really well. But this was comfortably my song, of the month quite easily and you all need to give it a listen sort of no matter whether, whether it's sort of something that you particularly listen to whether you like or dislike Bruno Mars's music in the past this is something entirely different and well worth a listen plus I mean it's doing absolute numbers um, at the time of recording it's on like 50, uh, 45 million views on YouTube and I imagine it was it just sort of seems like it was so much fun to record and I love tracks that sort of give me that vibe and. That sort of sense. Um, The next track I want to talk about, not quite doing the same numbers, but certainly seems to be very popular, and that is uh, 3000 Miles or Baby Baby by Yeek. Um, And Yeek is probably one of my top five favourite artists. It's all quite a a smaller artist, but it's sort of definitely sort of become more famous over the last couple of years. Um, I used to listen to him on repeat in sixth form all the time. So I imagine nostalgia does play a little bit of a part in my love for him. But he's an American artist. Uh, He's hard to sort of pin to one genre, I'd say. He's sort of relaxed, warm, summery, evening, indie sort of feeling. Uh, A little bit indie R&B rap, basically. Uh, Almost spoken word in a little bit of a sense. Just in the way he sort of tells emotional stories really eloquently, I think. Um, For me, his 2015 album, which was Love Slacker, is the showcase for him at his best, I'd say. The entire thing is incredible with sort of standout tracks like uh, Flowers, Come Back, Highways, Entries, uh, I'm Not Ready, Love Can Be. And actually, in hindsight, this for me might feature on one of my sort of like no-skip album lists. I genuinely feel this is a fantastic album that didn't get the recognition it deserved and isn't even his most successful album, which leaves me speechless, as you can hear. I mean, I think it is just fantastic. And I mean, it was his debut album, so probably went under the radar a little bit, but well worth a listen if you have the time. And even though I think that album was his best, his audience disagree, I think, uh, with his follow-up album, which was called Sebastian, getting him the most attention and this sort of newfound fame that he's had in the past couple of years Only in the West is a track which is probably his most successful track to date and successful track on that album but for me the best track on that Sebastian album featured the legend that is Bakar and that's definitely the highlight the track is called Seven and gave a feature to the British artist Bakar before he really made a name for himself to be honest uh, with his own tracks like Hell and Back really sort of put him in the spotlight. But oh and his his song uh Night Garden is really good as well with Benny, I think I think I don't know whether Bacar's is a feature and if it's Benny's track, I'm not sure. But Night Garden is a really great song. But if you don't know of uh Bacar, if you're a FIFA player, you'll definitely know him because of his song Big Dreams, which is a banger. Um but since these sort of albums, uh, Yeek he's He's released a fair few singles, but nothing, no EPs, no albums. Um, and the most recent uh, single that he's dropped is Valencia, but he also dropped 3,000 Miles, both in 2021. I personally wasn't too keen on Valencia, to be honest. I feel it was trying too hard to emulate sort of like successful poppy rap in the US right now, sort of Latin R&B as well, rather than keeping to his own personal, really sort of uber creative style but i hope he continues to follow the tracks left by 3000 miles to be honest this is more really creative like i say creative production that i know him for especially from that album uh, love slacker which i was talking about earlier but it's sort of super cool sort of reverberated line on this 3000 mile track i'm um, still sadly moving more from indie the sort of indie dna which he had in his music before to more of like a rap r&b but it's still keeping that creativity and that personal style of his, but just transitioning it across genres. So I'm more than happy for him to sort of move in that direction. And I think as long as he moves in that direction on 3,000 miles rather than Valencia, I think it's completely fine. Plus, I mean, it's a banger. It's a banger of the track and well worth a listen. I think I'm just overly critical of him as an artist because I loved his early stuff so much and have this sort of nostalgia effect with him. But I think that... That album, Love Slacker, and also his new single, 3,000 Miles, are well worth a listen. So now I want to talk about a bit of architecture and discuss a project which has it has been about for a little while. I think it was sort of quite widely publicised beginning of February kind of time. And that is Nicholas Burns' latest design. Um, he's an architect, uh, he's designed an incredible concrete chapel and meditation centre, which is sort of surrounded by trees on this Portuguese hilltop. And it was a really standout project for me, for sure. Uh, When I first saw it, my first thought was sort of how it was almost like monolithic in a sense. It's almost like a single sort of flowing block of concrete from the ground, uh, forming a sort of curved tower, um, which dodges and sort of weaves between the surrounding trees and also like these boulders on the site. And I just want to jump in here and also say that we have visual references for everything that we talk about in the pod and we put those on our Instagram and on our Twitter just because it gives you a little bit more of an idea about what I'm talking about because when I discuss these sort of structures, I think it can be hard to sort of visualise it unless you have that visual reference. But the, the, the project feels like a sort of epic protective bunker but it's fascinating how it was obviously sort of formed and shaped by like I say, it weaves in and out of these trees and it's sort of formed and shaped by the constraints of natural factors on the site. But it's sort of, it's often a factor that isn't considered, I think, sort of by onlookers of architectural design like myself. But you're not just always placing a building just on a site. You have to think about the effects of the site, what natural factors there are and I mean burns himself in an interview that I was reading said that the concrete was chosen as the primary building material because of its sort of malleability and plasticity that it is able to sort of be organically formed to sort of weave in and out of these of these sort of natural objects and natural constraints as well but the project features sort of quite minimalist and well fitting furniture as well which was also designed by the studio and fitted upon the build but I always find church designs really fascinating because it's such a different genre of architecture to what you often see and hear about. And, I mean, religious buildings built like hundreds of years ago were in many religions built the way they were to be sort of grand, inspiring structures to represent a religion while being like visible from all around, from sort of neighbouring villages and towns. So it's interesting to see how, Without that sort of necessity for it to be visible, um, because in the modern world that's simply not necessary, it's interesting to see how a modern take uh, sort of where these functions aren't necessary and there's more sort of design freedom to present the religious building in modern time uh, where society doesn't simply revolve around the church in the way it did hundreds of years ago. It's interesting to see how as an architect you would sort of take a different view upon building these things and it shows in a lot of the sort of recent religious building projects in the last couple of years and I think that is one that is well worth a read into if you're interested So for this next section I've been a little bit cheeky and put the Oscar nominations into this art category, art design category, it's it's film, it is art but I couldn't miss out from discussing the Nominations, which were announced beginning of last week, I think, because there's some really, really interesting films. And I mean, I can't remember a a recent year where I've been so excited about a set of Oscar nominations, to be honest. There's so many fantastic people who are finally getting the recognition they deserve. And I truly have no preference on who wins a lot of the main awards, to be honest. Um, This year, though, British actors have led the way in the nominations, which I, I mean, it makes me proud, I think. It's sort of, especially with some of the names involved, particularly. But um, I just wanted to run through the main nominations, main categories, and highlight some actors and films I've been particularly excited about. I haven't seen all of these films, uh, but I have seen a couple of them. And, I mean, I definitely want to watch them all now after sort of researching them and reading up on them a little bit more. So the first category is Best Picture. Um, The first film I want to, have a little chat about is The Father and probably my standout film of the year certainly on this list Anthony Hopkins plays an ageing father who starts to lose his memory and distrusts his family and his reality so it's quite a hard hitting film but beautifully cast, beautifully considered, beautifully executed for sure. The second film is Judas and the Black Messiah incredibly powerful film I'm still yet to see this one because I couldn't actually find a streaming service or anything that was renting it, but features three of my favourite working actors right now. Also, just want to say that I am horrendous at pronouncing people's names. That's one thing I just can't do. So please excuse any blunders uh, and just, you, you'll know who I'm talking about hopefully, unless I really butcher it that bad. But um, the three actors are Daniel Kalula, uh, who I think, despite his sort of rise to fame in Get Out was probably his biggest film, Uh, but it's still hugely unappreciated in the industry, I think. Really under the radar, considering just how amazing that film was Get Out, but also how he's had some really sort of impactful supporting roles, but also like main roles in in films in recent years. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who I fell in love with on Donald Glover's Atlanta, um, which is well worth a watch if you haven't seen that series. Then, when I thought I couldn't love him anymore, to be honest, I watched him in the incredible film Uh, Sorry to Bother You, which was like 2018 kind of time. Uh, But then he was in my favourite film uh, of 2019, which is Knives Out. So I can't wait to see him in in this film. Um, And also Jesse Plemons, who I first came across on, uh, it was like the Star Trek inspired Black Mirror episode. But I think he's a really versatile actor. And again, he sort of tends to play more supporting roles, so I think goes under the radar a little bit. But he's a fantastic uh, fantastic actor working right now. And the third film is *Mank*, which has received the most nominations this year at 10, I believe. Uh, it's a black and white Netflix film starring the ever-fantastic Gary Oldman. It's about the development of the screenplay for Citizen Kane, I think. and I haven't actually seen Citizen Kane, but it's sort of like a a drama about the process of it. And I guess it's probably the favourite to take that award. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's fantastic. But, I mean, historically speaking, Oscars do tend to prefer films that are made about filmmaking. They always, always uh, tend to vote for them. So I would not be at all shocked. Plus it's in black and white, quite arty. I, I think it's it's a given, really. Uh, the next film is Minari which I loved. You know it's going to be a good film when you see it's made by A24. They always they, they never miss, really, I think. Uh, it's a beautifully shot and crafted film about a Korean-American family moving to Arkansas and moving onto a farm in Arkansas, I should say, uh, and the struggles of trying to live their sort of American dream through this farm. Uh, it's written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung and looks truly beautiful, I think. Fantastic uh, cinematography. And really, it sort of what stood out to me was I think like the set dressing, but like the color grading, the color scheme was so beautiful and rich. And I'd say it's it's one of the most beautiful and underrated films on this list for sure. But um, I'm so glad to see uh, the film star, who is Stephen Yun, get recognised for his work. Because I mean, I used to love him when I used to watch The Walking Dead. I've watched like the first couple of seasons of that, and thought that he was a standout a standout talent on that. And he seems quite humble and passionate about what he does in sort of interviews that I've, I've read with him. Um, so I hope he does really well, and I hope the film as a whole does well. Uh, Nomad Land is the next film. Uh, it stars Francis McDonald, who, as well as being in the original Fargo, not the TV series, uh, was in one of my favourite films in recent years, which is Three Billboards Outside of Ebony, Missouri. I loved that film. And I think. Nominated for an Oscar in the year I can't rem- in the year-, year it was released, I can't remember, but really truly fantastic film. but it was about a woman who loses everything in the Great Recession, so travels sort of through America backpacking. It's a very touching film. I, I, I haven't watched it, but I've seen um, some trailers and sort of extended cuts of it. and I think it it sort of points at a very sort of honest picture of life in modern day America. Um, the next film is Promising Young Woman. is about a woman who's played by Carrie Mulligan, who pretends to be drunk on a night out and takes revenge on those who take advantage of her. A uh, very apt film for where we are in society right now. Uh, interesting, when I first saw the poster, I actually thought that uh, Carrie Mulligan was Margot Robbie, but it turns out Carrie Mulligan... Uh, the, the part that she plays was actually intended for Margot Robbie, which I didn't realise when I when I first saw it. And Margot Robbie actually chose to produce the film instead. Um, so they just selected a similar actress, I, I guess, a sort of similar style and similar movement. But I really thought it was her, so that's quite a strange coincidence. The next film is Sound of Metal. The film has six nominations, I think, and I hope does really well this year. It's about a heavy metal drummer... Um, And his sort of life after he starts to lose his hearing. Um, It stars uh, Riz Ahmed, uh, another actor who I feel has been hugely, hugely underappreciated for years. His performance simply was an Oscar-winning performance in this film. There's no other way about it. He honestly jaw-dropping the performance. I I think it would be criminal if if Sound of Metal and Riz Ahmed's performance goes away empty-handed. Because the film for me was a serious must-watch, with fantastic uh, supporting performances as well, I have to mention from Olivia Cook and Paul Rackey, I believe the actor's name is. And then the last film on the list is Trial of the Chicago 7, which, for me, feels like it's been around for ages, but when I was sort of looking them up, it was only released last year. But uh, it's about a trial of seven people given various charges uh, following the 1968 Democratic National Convention. Capped off a huge comeback year for Sasha Baron Cohen after Borat 2. And it was great to see him prove he could do a serious role, really. Uh, But do it in such... I mean, he did it in such a high level that he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for it. So it is great to see his talent. And it's something that, I mean, I feel like all British people knew was there, but maybe wasn't appreciated from those further afield, I think. But um, I just also want to super quickly list out the other nominations for the main categories just so you get the full picture. You're going to witness, like I say, my really poor pronunciation of names. Uh, So for Best director, we've got Paul Vinterberg on Another Round, David Fincher on Mank, Lee Isaac Chung in Minari, Chloe Zhao on Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell on Promising Young Woman. And on that category, Minari, uh, Lee Isaac Chung would be My choice, I think. Best Actor in a Leading Role, we've got Riz Ahmed. My choice on that as well. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman and Stephen Yun. We've also got Best Actress in a Leading Role. That is Viola Davies, uh, Andrea Yeh, Vanessa Kirby, Frances McDormand and Carrie Mulligan. I'd go Frances McDormand on that because from what I've read, uh, really, really sort of impactful part she played in that that, um, Nomadland film. We've also got Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Sasha Baron Cohen, Trial of Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya, which would be my choice on that list, uh, Leslie Oddman Jr., uh, Paul Rackey and Lakeith Stanfield. I would love to see Lakeith Stanfield get it as well, but I think Daniel Kaluuya would be my choice. Um, and then finally, we've got Best Actress in a Supporting Role. Um, that is Maria Balakova for Baborat Borat uh, 2 film, uh, Glenn Close, Olivia Colman, uh, Amanda Seyfield, and region yun i would go olivia colman on that for her part in the father because she was really fantastic i've given my preferences but this like like i said at, at the start it's one of those years where i think there have been so many fantastic films i just i'd be happy to see any of the nominations get it to be honest i think they're all well deserving there's no duds on that list at all so i'm really excited to see how that goes I just want to have a bit of a chat in this section about a couple of new Yeezy drops. And I know this isn't exciting stuff. I'm going to be the first to say it. I mean, Yeezy's become a bit of a dirty word in streetwear, I think, especially sort of sneaker trainer-wise. Because, I mean, it's been scapegoated to a certain level because it's the brand of hype beast along with, like, Supreme. But, I mean, they haven't helped themselves with that in, in recent years. They've lost a lot of their hype through their sort of unwillingness to evolve their products. But also, I mean, Kanye West himself said that he wants Yeezy to be an accessible brand that anyone can just go pick it up off the shelf. So obviously, it's going to lose its hype and his sort of secondhand uh, resale value because these products are just going to be re released and re released and retroed as well. Um, And they've milked the success of uh, 350 V2 which is like the sort of stereotype of a Yeezy, it's the one that you always see. But they still always sell out the 350 V2, so I guess it's one of those that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I mean, the resale market shows that these models, along with all new Yeezys, have lost their desirability for sure. But the constant release of bland colourways, similar to what has already come, has just sort of fueled the fire to a certain extent it's a very sort of tight colour palette on the yeezys and it just seems that they keep bouncing back between very similar shades between very similar colours there is however starting to be a bit of a micro shift in a slightly more exciting direction with i say exciting ex- exciting might be a bit of a strong word but in an exciting direction nonetheless uh, with two of the more recent announced drops uh, the first are new mono variants uh, of the 350v2, uh, two of uh, four colourways I believe, there's four colourways rumoured but only two colourways have been released so far with an ice blue and sort of a bright n- sort of lavery orange I guess. The distinction from a normal 350v2 is sort of like a, in design it would be called like a biomimic, it's sort of like a web cage very sort of organic shape which is under like the translucent upper shell of the shoe uh, I think it's a, a very safe evolution which I think does bring the silhouette a bit more up to date a little bit more new a little bit more distinctive because it is a very minimalist shoe so I mean this is adding a layer of detail quite literally but I, I think it's a movement in the right direction even if it is a little bit safe but there's also new colorways coming of the only Yeezy that I've had any interest in in recent years and that are that is these Yeezy slides. Uh, I tried to get a pair and failed uh, to get the beige colour last year but maybe I'll have more luck with these sort of imminently arriving uh, core brown and orange colorways. In January there are also leaked pictures of like a blue, a white, maybe a No, yeah, blue, white, brown, and like a sagey green, I think. But I haven't seen these materialise yet, and more recent leaks have been this core brown and this orange, which do look set to come soon. So, yeah, exciting Uh, Yeezys, as exciting as Yeezys can be. But the only pair that I am going to have any interest in are those slides, because summer. So for the last section of this pod, I just wanted to briefly run over the England lineup because I actually held off from recording this pod for about three days because I wanted to include the hotly anticipated uh, England lineup uh, for the upcoming qualifiers against San Marino, Poland and Albania. Um, I just wanted to rattle through the list of the full squad first um, and then I'm going to touch on a few of the interesting choices that are made. So I'm just going to list it out with goalkeepers, we've got Dean Henderson from Man United, Sam Johnston from West Brom, and Nick Pipe from Burnley. Defenders, we've got Ben Chilwell, Chelsea, uh, Connor Cody from Wolves, Eric Dier, Tottenham, Reese James, Chelsea, Harry Maguire, Man United, Tyrone Mings, Aston Villa, Luke Shaw, Man United, John Stones, Man City, Kieran Trippier from Atletico Madrid, uh, Kyle Walker from Manchester City. In midfield, we've got Jude Bellingham, exciting, from Borussia Dortmund. Phil Foden, Man City, uh, Jesse Lingard, West Ham, but on loan from Man United, Uh, Mason Mount, Chelsea, Calvin Phillips from Leeds, Declan Rice, West Ham, James Ward-Prowse, Southampton, and then up top, we've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin for Everton, Harry Kane, Tottenham, Marcus Rashford, Man United, uh, Bakayo Saka from Arsenal, Raheem Starling from Man City, and Ollie Watkins from Aston Villa. So I just want to run through... Couple of the interesting sort of decisions that Gareth Southgate has made, that probably, I mean, he's made some interesting ones, but obviously just for these three uh, qualification matches. But in the Euros, this might sort of dictate the direction he's going in, or he might just be trying a bit of talent. So you've got to you've got to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt. So with goalkeepers, we've got uh, Jordan Pickford would have obviously been Gareth Southgate's first choice, definite favourite with with Southgate. But due to his injury playing for Everton, I think it was last week. Very, very recently. But it's made space for Sam Johnston to come into the team. Who, I mean, West Brom aren't doing fantastic at the moment. But Sam Johnston has been a standout player for them. Um, So, yeah, I think great addition. But won't be starting. I would have thought it would be Nick Pope to start. Although Dean Henderson did play in the Europa League match for uh, Man United against uh, AC Milan, I think, the other day. And I thought it put in a great performance. So I think it would be between Nick Pope and Dean Henderson and I imagine Sam Johnston will just be a, a sort of fill-in, but might be proven wrong. Uh, defensively, we've got Luke Shaw. He's had a fantastic few months and has been on... I, I think he's probably been one of Man United's standout players, if not best player. That might be a bit of an unpopular opinion. So I, I I'm not shocked that he's he's missing at all. Although he has been missing in in previous uh, England lineups, I don't watch a lot of La Liga to be honest. It's probably the only European sort of big four, big five leagues, but I just don't watch any matches of. But I understand Kieran Trippier has had a great season at Atletico Madrid. Um, plus Atletico play a similar system to what could be expected from Gareth Southgate, so Trippier might slot in quite well. Um, John Stones has been rewarded for his major comeback this season really and I, that that really, I, I can't stress that enough, it has been a comeback he'll bring experience and confidence to the side which will be very important because this is quite a sort of it's leaning on youth this squad for sure but bringing a lot of confidence um, from his time at Man City this season but the big story I think defensively uh, is no Trent Alexander-Arnold one of our best defenders for England, historically. Um, serious major call. And one I'm I'm personally not in agreement with, but obviously with football you never know the full picture. He hasn't had a great second half to the season, but none of the Liverpool squad have, That that's fair to say. But he is just one of those... He's one of those major talents that I would have thought... You just... You can't ignore... You can't just you can't ignore the talent. You you'd ignore the form and just remember what he is capable of bringing to the team. But obviously Southgate disagrees. But again, like I like I said at the top, is that this is just for three games, this squad selection. Um, but not even having him as an option is I, I think it's a huge decision, but one that Southgate obviously believes is right. Now we're going to move on to midfield. It's great, great, great to see two young talents in Phil Foden and Jude Bellingham. I'm a massive fan of them both and have loved watching Jude Bellingham uh, play for Dortmund this year. His call-up is well-deserved. They've both proven how much they deserve it. But I think that the other story, is, especially in midfield, is Jesse Lingard being selected. Um, I think Southgate has a soft spot for him, I would say. He probably came in a little easy just because... He was one of the big successes and big names of the 2018 run. But he's hit the ground running since joining West Ham on loan from Man United in January. And I would have thought Southgate would maybe have wanted him to prove himself a little bit more, especially a little bit more of his longevity and his form. But clearly, his great start is enough for Southgate to pick him. Um, and also, his West Ham teammate Declan Rice has also deserved his call up. Being, he's just one of those players who can just do whatever you need him to do and a great addition to the england squad up front is probably the strongest part of this england squad this time around harry kane uh obviously leading the line as he always does uh he, he, he slots straight in he's one of those players though like trent alexander arnold but i would have said it's just a natural talent that really would have to have spectacularly poor form to miss out and trent alexander arnold i'm not gonna uh, i I'm in danger of going on about this like a broken record but I I do think that was it's a bold call but anyway uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin picked primarily due to his early season form I I would assume Uh, plus he's had a recent injury a couple of weeks ago he's only just come back but yeah I'm I'm sure he'll get back to his expected form he scored last week so he looks like he's well on route Arsenal youngster Bukayo Sacco I love Saka. Uh, he's rightfully featuring, uh, he's been Arsenal's best player this season by an absolute mile, I think. Uh, again, another unpopular opinion. And anything I say about the big clubs will obviously have people disagreeing with me, but I think he's a standout talent for sure. But the interesting thing here, I think, is Ollie Watkins featuring. I only say that, I mean, Ollie Watkins is great talent, but I only say that because he's probably taking the slot where you would expect Patrick Bamford from Leeds to be. Uh, The majority of the people can't see how Bamford missed out, I think. But I actually agree with Southgate's choice on this one. Uh, Leeds are a bit of an awkward team who play a very specific type of football and play a very specific way. Bielsa, historically, is one of those fantastic managers who has been able to get the most out of some unlikely players, I'd say. Um, And I think Bamford might be another example of that, to be honest. I could see him as a player working. Well, no, I couldn't see him working as a player effectively at another club. I think he's proven that from from how he's played at some of his previous clubs. And I therefore think he'll probably struggle in an England lineup. But that is just my guess. I'm excited to see uh, what direction Southgate goes tactically, especially with the back line, I think, whether it's a back four or a back three. But yeah, it's we'll exciting to see how he goes. And the first game is against San Marino on the 25th of March, which you can't miss because it'll be really interesting to see how he lines up. Thank you for listening to this fifth episode of the Tech Basquiat Podcast. It's one I've really enjoyed making this week. And I've enjoyed doing it in this little bit of a different structure where I touch on all of these individual categories because I want this to be like a sort of less intimidating and and more open version of like like a GQ magazine where it's not pretentious but it gives you sort of an overview of everything you should probably know about in the week or anything that's sort of interesting to talk about in the week and I really would love for you guys to share anything you'd like me to discuss and also share your opinions on what what I've talked about in today's pod. And I can't wait to make next week's pod and I look forward to talking to you then.